You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Good morning, everyone. We've been in a series in Ephesians, and one of the main um, themes that have come out of it thus far is gratitude. (laughs) And so why don't you just take a moment to turn to the person beside you or behind you or above you, wherever they are, and um, tell them something you're grateful this week. Because I know for some of us here that um, a lot of sickness in our church at the moment and um, a lot of different things people are facing. And I know we're not trying to pretend life is good. We're trying to say that God is still good, even in the chaos, even in the storm. And so turn to the person beside you and just tell them one thing you're thankful this week. Go. Fantastic. As mentioned, Ephesians 3 is where we are at the moment. Let me uh, start reading. Um, Basically, well, let me read a part and then we'll go from there. So, for this very reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace and has been given to me for you, how the mystery is made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me. Through I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be now known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I may ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's stop there. Obviously, lots in there already. This is kind of the third part of Paul's intro. So if I was to write a letter, I'd say, uh, Dear Michael, how are you? Would be the beginning of my letter. Paul's beginning of his letter is the last three chapters that we've started. And he actually finishes the letter today. And then in Ephesians 4, we start looking at kind of going a bit deeper in what it looks like to continue to be the church, a bit more practical. But right now, he's been giving this intro. And in this intro, we've covered over the last few weeks is this idea that there's this um, invention or this story or this narrative that's been going on since the beginning of time, the moment man refused what God had. He had this mission to bring them back, to reconcile them back to him. And that's called, and this movement of restoration is these called out people, Ecclesia or the church. And so then last week we looked at ways that the church can be blocked even before it starts, the way we can kill community. And we looked at uh, a few things, such things as worshipping the past, worshipping individuals or worshipping ourselves rather than worshipping Jesus. We won't even get a chance to be the church 
if these things creep in early on. And then today, Paul continues this line talking about the mystery of the gospel revealed to all now, all having a choice to be part of this movement. Freedom in Christ, finding freedom in Christ. But I want to, one line stood out to me above all others when I read this, and I want to just take a fair bit of the sermon today to discuss it. And obviously, there's always a lot that we choose to miss, uh, not deliberately, but this, and choose to cover when it's such big passages. But this line is something I want to focus on today. It, it really called out to me when reading it. And I think it's deliberate that Paul uses such strong language. So let's unpack that for a moment. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Very harsh language to call himself a prisoner. Now, you'll know, or you may know, or some of you in our, in our small tables have even talked about this idea, that Paul was likely writing these letters in and out of prison. So it's a direct a connection to the fact that he could have been sitting in a prison at this time as he wrote Ephesians. But he doesn't say, for this reason I, a Paul, a prisoner. He had in the full extent of it, he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul wants you to know, yes, he may be in and out of jail, but there is something else going on. There's something else going on in Paul's heart that he wants us to understand. And he uses this intense way to explain this relationship as a prisoner and it's deliberate harsh words no less harsh <laughs> 2,000 years ago in fact probably more harsh as Christians were getting hunt, hunted down in this in, in where Paul was at that time and being put in jail and being tortured and so the idea of calling yourself a prisoner of Christ Jesus was deliberately stirring the pot <laughs> And here's the questions that go through my head when I read this. And it's good to ask these questions. You know, it's healthy for Christians to ask questions. That's what this place is for. But here's my, here's my questions that go through my head. Is Paul trapped by Jesus? Why would he call himself a prisoner? Is he trapped? I instantly, in my 2020 sort of mindset, in the culture that I think of cults, is, is Paul encouraging us to be some sort of, sort of cult? Trapped? Can't do, can do, prisoner? to this idea and does Paul contradict himself because in multiple times in Ephesians he talks about the freedom he has in Christ how can he be both trapped and free as I reflected on this prayed about it and and read other commentaries and what people were saying around this one of the <laughs> closest analogies I could come to think of was this idea of marriage and before I, oh, this is always risky. Before I try to hear my heart, I'm about to try to connect being a prisoner to marriage. And so before I do that, I want you to have some grace with me and understand if I don't miss, if I miss the mark with this point, especially Mez, my wife, if I miss the mark with this, hear what I'm trying to say. But yes, I'm about to connect marriage to being a prisoner. But hear me out. And let's um, hope it hits the nail on the head. You see, marriage. Marriage is a choice. But when you first get engaged, when you're first in love, when you first start dating seriously, it doesn't feel like 
you're choosing anything. It feels like you are completely captivated. Let's use that language, captivated by that person. For those of you that have dated or been married. But those who have been married longer than 60 minutes will know that there's good and bad days of any relationship. Good and bad weeks. The young infatuation surface level commitment isn't enough to sustain a healthy, thriving marriage. It must grow deeper. And if you let it, if you cultivate it, you may even put restrictions on it. What I mean is not rules or um, uh, you can't do this, you can do this. But you deliberately give up things to cultivate that relationship. Um, particularly if your, your marriage grows into children, grows into family. All of a sudden, you can't do everything you want to do. You've deliberately chosen to give up the freedom of just randomly going and seeing a movie any night of the week because you've got kids in the house. And they can't, well, at least in my house, with the oldest being six, they can't look after themselves. You've given up things deliberately as a choice. Obviously, married, you're committed to one person. You've given up dating, in a sense. There's restrictions, obvious restrictions, but you still put yourself as a captive in order to build something significant. The irony of this all, and this speaks to the larger picture, is you're actually not choosing captivation versus freedom. You're not saying, I don't want to be free anymore, I want to be captivated. You're actually choosing your captivation. What I mean by this is a non-married person also is captivated by things, still has rules to their life. They still have commitments and sacrifices. Even if that commitment, you might have a single friend that even their commitment, they're proud of their commitment is trying to have zero commitments. That's still a large commitment. (laughs) You see, we're all captivated by things. We all have something in our life, moving wider than marriage now, uh, that drives us forward, that gets us up in the morning. Work, ambition, whatever, comfort, being better than the neighbours. Status, family, kids, whatever. How about these lines? I just want to make a good life. I want to have a simple life. I want to be happy. These sound like just things we say, but do you realize there are people expressing their vision and mission statement for their life? When someone says, I just want to be happy, what they are saying is, everything in my life is focused around my need to feel this way. I am captivated by that. Right or wrong, They're still captivated by this idea. They're still a prisoner. Still going to restrict themselves, discipline themselves to round that idea. Again, even if you know someone or someone sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not with you, Steve. I don't follow anyone. I'm a jazz maverick. (laughs) I'm a free spirit. The man doesn't tell me what to do. That sounds like an incredible, powerful vision statement that you have been captivated by your life to not be captivated. (laughs) So, having said all that, simple but hopefully profound question to ask this morning, or profoundly deep question to ask yourself this morning, what are you captivated by? What are you captivated by? Or as Paul much more specifically says, and much more direct says, what are you a prisoner of? What are you a prisoner of?
at your heart of hearts, what are you serving? For Paul, it's clear. It was God and his mission. So when church leaders hear Paul is in a cell, when church leaders hear, the local leaders hear that Paul has been captured and tortured, he writes this letter and says, guys, don't worry about it. Don't stress. That's, that's what I've been called to do. This is my choice. I do it for this greater thing. I'm, I'm happy to be called a prisoner because I'm a prisoner for Christ. I want to commit to this because this is what I'm about. This is what I do. This is my thing I'm into. This is my whole life. This is what captivates me. Some of you won't like this this morning. And I don't, I, let me, full disclosure, I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm a product, uh, let's, let's call me a millennial, but <laughs> I don't quite squeeze into that at all. But I've grown up in a culture where I've been told that everything I do is awesome at school and anywhere. I've been told that I just got to follow my heart. I grew up in Disney films where you just got to follow your heart. And so this idea of absolute freedom, this illusion of freedom that I've been sold, <laughs> means that I come to a passage like this. And if I'm completely honest with you, it's a little bit uncomfortable. The idea of being captivated makes me cringe. <laughs> but the point Paul's saying here is, you can cringe all day, Steve. You can cringe all day, church. You're still a prisoner of something. You can have feelings towards something. You can have a different uh, narrative that you've been told growing up, but it doesn't make this any less true. Everybody is captivated by something. Romans 12, 2 tells us we are captivated by patterns and that we can be, our mind can be renewed and transformed and freed. Other passages speak about dominion over us. The dominion of darkness in this world. We are captured. The difference with Jesus, the difference with the moment you accept Jesus is you get to choose. You get to choose who you'll be captivated by. On one hand, there's only two choices. One hand, you follow where your man's desires and see where that leads. Or the other hand, you choose to be captivated and follow Jesus. Now, I reckon it'd be okay if you're still not with me. You're like, Steve, I'm, I'm just, I'm not captivated. I'm sorry, I'm not a prisoner. I don't reckon my friends look very prisoner-like. They're not captivated by any ideas. If you're still not with me, let me give you a couple of fun examples. Have you ever given a millennial a date for something for them to plan towards? So say, let me give you an example. You've got a birthday party in six months. You say, I want you there. Have you ever seen the angst of making a millennial plan something six months in, six months in advance? It's horrifying for them. Because it's not that you've planned something. It's not that you've got something fun to do in six months. It's that something funner <laughs> might happen before that. You might give them tickets to a concert, but there might be a better concert. The idea of ruling out, let's say, a Saturday night in six months' time leads them to <laughs> be anxious, leads them to stress, because they're trapped by FOMO, as they call it, fear of missing out. It's a prison. 
they're captivated by this idea that what if something better is around the corner? If you don't believe me, literally Facebook on its events no longer have a yes and no button. They have a maybe button. Maybe there'll be something better. Maybe this won't be the best thing on that night. Maybe I want to leave my options open because I am a prisoner to the fear of missing out. It's not just young people. You ask a 60s to 70s white, reasonably well-off guy um, to drive my mum's old Tarago around and watch the fear gripple them because they think, what will, <laughs> they think, what will people think of me if I drive this type of car? What will society think of me? I won't look as successful. I won't look the, as, as, as sim- I won't have the same status. It's a prisoner to what the world tells you is successful or the, what the world tells you should be driving or your status. And I'm not saying all of this is completely evil. I'm just saying, just admit, there are things in your life that captivate you. There are rules to this life that imprison us. And if you still don't believe me, when you leave today, go out to dinner tonight and look at the table across from you because you'll see this, this picture. How's that? Six or seven people all staring at their phones completely captivated by their news feed, not each other. Church, what is it for you? What captivates you? Who or what traps you? Who do you serve? And more importantly, I think for us this morning, how do we bring it back to Jesus? How do we be recaptured or increase our capturedness (laughs) by Jesus? So, I'm going to take it from Paul from here and read this next passage as he gives a prayer to pray for the church and talks about how they may be captured by Jesus. For this very reason, I bow my knees. This is verse 14 of um, chapter 3. Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul invites the church to grow deeper, to dig deeper roots to be more captivated by jesus again to use the analogy of marriage and then family we see this in this example we see let me you get married and you make these vows on your wedding day you're completely captivated hopefully on your wedding day by your spouse but then sooner or later you might have to discuss kids 
You might have to discuss career. You might have to find out who's going to cook and dinner that night and what it's going to be. <laughs> Deep questions like that. You might, pets, sickness, temptation, schooling. At each step, your marriage takes on new things. It grows. It allows it to deepen. You get recaptured into spaces and even more captivated by something you're building. This is a good thing. In the same way, Paul is inviting us to be even more captivated by Jesus. Yes, you go to church. And yes, most of us here, I believe, and if you haven't, come talk to me, have made a decision to follow Jesus. And he has captured your eternal destiny. I believe that. You are secure in him. But let me ask you this. He's got your eternal destiny. But who's captured your weekly budget? Who gets to decide your internet browsing at night when no one's looking? Men. Who decides that? Who's captured that? Who makes decisions with what you're going to do with your week, spend your time, about the partner you choose, how much God has a say in that, the job, the uni major? Has God captured that? Has God taken all areas of your life captive? Now, there's no pressure on this. You don't have to do any of this. You have a choice. But if it's Jesus you choose, then there is a process of dying to oneself, choosing the good, good Father as King in all things. And how do we do this? Well, Paul tells us we get dirty. Planting deep roots, he says. Growing deep means sometimes digging stuff up. It means aerating the soil. It means going into places that are buried. Letting God capture every area of your life means letting him into every area of your life. Yes, that area. Yes, that area. That area, the pride, the jealousy, the rage, the gossip, the control, the anxiety, the depression, the abuse, the hidden. Let him in. Let him captivate it it all. And a key practical way to do that, and I'm banging on about this all year, Not the key way, not the answer to that formula. The answer is Jesus. But Paul gives us an encouragement here. He says, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Church, we've been talking about this, what we call our small table practice. Find yourself a small table. Find yourself some key saints to get alongside you and explore the breadth and length and height and depth together. I'll say it again, Sunday morning, 9 to 11. It's a lot of fun. You guys should come. (laughs) I don't think you understood the joke because you guys didn't laugh and it was very funny. 9 to 11, we're already at church. It's funny. Yeah, anyway, okay, new jokes. 9 to 11 is a lot of fun, but you are not going to be able to unpack your whole week. You're not going to be able to unpack everything God has been doing in you at church every time. 
Yes, we want to pray for you. Yes, we want to break some bondages. Yes, we want to see the Spirit speak to you and encourage you and uplift you. Yes, yes, yes. But your whole Christian walk can't be on that Sunday morning. We can't share everything every time in church with everyone. It's important to have a select, trusted group of people that can explore these deeper places. The dark addictions. Share and trust and spur each other on as we dig deeper roots. I know I'm talking about this, but I believe it to be a significant thing that Jesus practiced and asked us to. So here's my last question as we start to finish up this morning. Why? There it is on the screen. Why though, Steve? Why though, Paul? And what I mean is why? Why not? Here's a hack. Here could be a bit of a a life hack. (laughs) Why not get your salvation ticket, build some sort of weedy, shallow roots, go to church, and then become a prisoner to comfort, live in the high life, luxury and holidaying. We're on the Gold Coast Church. Why not get your salvation ticket and then start the holiday now? Start living as a prisoner to comfort. How's that? I'm a prisoner of comfort. I'm captivated by luxury and wealth. You can do that. Two reasons I'd suggest, Paul would suggest, the entire Bible and most and all of Jesus' teaching would suggest. It says the wages of sin is death. That's to say, don't that's not to say don't do bad stuff, God's gonna get you. It's saying you choose a way of flesh, it's not gonna it's not gonna end well. Your payment, the wage that you receive, the re- the opposite and equal reaction of choosing man's way always leads to death, both spiritually and of because of the first sin, because of sin, it actually leads to physically. Everyone dies. And you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be truly comforted. And you'll never actually truly be at peace living life that way. You can choose the other way, which is growing deeper through the love of Christ being captivated together. And that's what they call in the Bible the church. It means we could do something significant, church. Or better yet, Be a people of significance. In Jesus, we could be a community that completely captivated in every way, growing deep roots in every area of our life. Producing, and do you know what deep roots produce? Do you know the other, turning to Jesus, letting him captivate you while alive, in life, in every aspect. Do you know what that produces? Do you know what good roots, good, good, good deep roots produce? They grow real homegrown organic fruit of the Spirit. The kind of fruit that draws people in. 
The kind of fruit doesn't need a fancy label or a uh, sticker on it or need to even tell you it's 100% fruit because it's real genuine fruit. Real peace, real patience, real love, real joy. Stuff that draws people in. They'll know you by your love for one another. Now, it doesn't start with going out. The end of this sermon is not me going, hey, go get some peace, guys. That's like painting the roses red. That's like, I remember a couple of years ago using a sermon analogy around a Fanta bottle. It's like Fanta, sugary, sweet, fake goodness. I'm not asking you to go produce some Fanta. It starts with letting God capture your heart in every other area of your life. Wrestling over a lifetime of becoming less of you and more of Him. Who wants that church? Let me give you three questions to ask in your small tables or over coffee or to consider in your quiet times with God this week. And allow me to summarize as well. What choices daily allow you to be more captivated by God? First point that Paul tries to uh, encourage us with is that he is captivated completely by the Father, by Jesus. And in every way, he doesn't mind what he faces because his true prison or true, truly captivated by Jesus. And it's a joy. What choices daily allow you to be more captiva- captivated by God? What is one way this week you can deepen your relationships with people in the church? What is one way this week you can deepen your relationships with people in the church? Again, small tables. It might just look like you being brave and inviting someone out for dinner or coffee. And I mean, I'm not being sarcastic when I say be brave. Even as a pastor, it is so nerve-wracking to send texts out to people and say, hey, you want to catch up? You do, at least I have that voice in my head that goes, well, what if they say no? What if they don't want to? What if they can find a better pastor that wants to hang out? What if they, I get it, it's scary. Community's scary because it's uncontrollable. So maybe for you, it's asking someone out for dinner this week. Maybe it's going out for coffee this week. For others, it's a group you might have, but you might need to deepen the conversation. For others, you've got deep conversation, but you might need to inject the Word of God into it. You might need to open the Word a little bit and challenge some people. We're digging deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Whatever it is for you, what step could you take this week to deepen your relationships with the people in this church? And lastly, does your Christian walk feel more like striving to do better or more or living out of the depth of God, depths of God's love? Lastly, does your Christian walk feel more like striving to do better or more or living out of the depth of God's love? What I'm trying to say is, of course, we do stuff in the church. We do stuff in the world. But true fruit, as mentioned, doesn't come from striving or just really trying to force ourselves to produce fruit, to be better. It's about plugging ourselves into the one that is good. Firmly planting ourselves near the living water, letting the deeper roots grow deeper. And naturally, out of that comes good fruit. Deepen ourselves in love.
let me read the last thing that's this vision of what it looks like in the end of Ephesians 3. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. I love that. Not some of God, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask, than we think, than we dream, than we imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen, church. Let me pray as the band comes up. Let's continue to explore what it means to be the church in its fullness. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. I just pray that as we go out for this week, your spirit stirs within us. Let us find ways to be more captivated, not by the prisoners of this world, but by you, Jesus. Not because we have to, but we choose to, because we believe it is good. We know you are good. And in that choice, Lord, I pray that daily we take up our cross and find ways to grow deeper. To grow, yeah, to grow deeper. To be more captivated by you in more areas of our life. And Father, I pray you bless it. I pray you bless us and I pray you bless us as a church as those deep roots take hold and produce good fruit, Lord. Fruit that the rest of this community just can't live without. Fruit that is so desirable to the rest of this community. A sense of peace, a sense of patience, a sense of self-control, a sense of love and joy, and a faithfulness that can't be explained, Lord. A steadiness that can only come from you. Fill us with your fullness. And thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who made it all possible on the cross. In Jesus' name, in his name, amen. If you're listening online at the moment and you'd like more information about Burley Church, you can visit www.bcc.org.au. If you'd like information on what we call our small table practices, which is our small group system, uh, you can actually go to the We Grow tab and click on small tables on the website to find some of the questions coming from each week's sermon that helps us uh, explore, I guess, what the Word of God is saying uh, in, in deeper community. And lastly, if you'd also like to contribute or uh, give towards the work and the kingdom work of this church, you can do so under the We Give tab by following the details there and uh, giving to giving in whatever way you feel led. Thanks for joining us and um, yeah, really appreciate you listening. Speak soon. Bye.